welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. When blank happens, we put in that blank the words pain, suffering, sickness, loss, death, tragedy, trauma. These things that the human race, in a sense, seem to share in common and yet are so unique to each person's story. Pain and suffering does not respect age, ethnicity, wealth, social status, language you speak, intellect, your life experiences. It touches every one of us in different ways and yet is the universal human experience. And if you've been with us the last few weeks, we talked about how even though we kind of know that's a part of life and there's an inevitability to that, whether there's something in your past that you know you've seen or experienced, something you're going through right now, pain and suffering and loss, or something you see coming that you're worried is going to cause grief, whether that's you personally or people you walk with, loved ones, and therefore it's personal as well, that there's a suddenness to it. Like it surprises us in one sense, and maybe we didn't think we'd struggle with this or that, or we didn't think it would go on this long. And some of the language we're using in our series is, hey, when that happens, you are thrust into or plunged into a season or an experience of wrestling with God through or in the middle of pain and suffering. I've said to you the last couple of weeks, no matter where you are in the spiritual journey, in some shape or form, you are interested, curious, growing, pursuing, um, committed, wherever you are in that spectrum. If you're here and you're watching this, you're listening to this, you're, you're like, that's, that's something for you. And wherever you are in that spectrum, the, 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 the belief and conviction in uh, um, and prayers to and songs we sing to a God who is loving and powerful And at the same time, the reality of pain and suffering that we see, not just out there, but in here, causes a struggle um, that we have to wrestle with, quite frankly, something we don't want to do and didn't think we'd have to do in our relationship with God. And yet, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, that the name that God gives to his people in the Old Testament, the name Israel, means those who strive with or wrestle with God. And so there seems to be something inherent built into what it means to be in a relationship with God where we wrestle. And our hope and our prayer for you, for all of us in this series, um, because you know we don't we don't know each other's stories necessarily. Some of us know, and and but I don't know necessarily everything that you're going through. But I know that this is a universal human experience for us. And so my prayer and hope for us as a community is that. Um, you know, when we've used this language, even if you, if you remember or if you're just joining us for the first time today, that we would have both honesty, to be, to be able to be honest um, with our pain and our reality and with other people, but have hope as well. That we would not just have permission to be real, permission to bleed, permission to grieve out loud and with others, but also direction on where we go with that. Somehow that we would find a way forward in the wrestling with God. And one of the things just to mention, um, a series like this can bring up and surface 
or just put its a finger on soft spots in our lives where we need help, and and a sermon series by itself, a teaching on a Sunday, isn't enough. And so we have um, connections to counselors and resources to help you if counseling is financially not viable for you. And so you can talk to one of the site pastors about that. We have something called Renewal Prayer. We're booking appointments for that, and that's just a focused prayer ministry time with people who are trained to listen and pray for you. It's not counseling. We have um, people that we, we believe in, professionals who are trained for that, but we also have a space to play in the church to focused prayer time and, and healing prayer um, uh, for that. And so that's available to you, and you can sign up for that. And of course, just um, your community and home groups as you're talking through this together, we encourage everyone to be in a group, uh, a smaller group than what you find on Sundays, to be able to work through this together so that you know you don't wrestle alone. Now, the, the thing is, the struggle, the wrestling with God through pain and suffering is a surprise for us because it's not what we came to God for, right? I don't know about you, but I come to God and I, and I, I wanted to be in relationship with God because I, I want blessing. I want peace. I want love. I want provision. I want grace. I want protection. I don't want to have to wrestle. I don't want the struggle. It's pain is hard enough, but then to have to wrestle with God through and saying, God, where are you and why? And all the questions that the people of faith asked in scripture and that we ask ourselves, we don't want the wrestle because we're like, I didn't want to do this. I wanted there to be no pain and no suffering. And that's why I came to you in a very real sense. That's true. And so our responses to the struggle are at times we'll say, fine, I'm just going to ditch peace out. No more. And I know maybe that's your story. Maybe for you, you stepped off the faith train, or at least you know people who did, who just said, this is too much. I have many friends who at the age of 10 or 20 or 30 or 50, you know, someone that say, yeah, I gave God the finger because he failed me, because he didn't come through, because he allowed this or didn't stop this. And so for some, we ditch. And, and that's a real thing. And, and if that's you or that's where you've been, I'm just, I'm just so thankful that you're here and that you're listening and that you have the courage um, to kind of keep exploring and in a sense, maybe come back to the wrestling. But I would say no matter uh, where you are on the faith journey, we have two other responses that seem to be common to us to, to deal with the pain and the pain of the wrestling. One is distraction. The other is deflection. When I say distraction, it, like we do things and look at things in order to not have to look at the pain. So distraction is stuff we look at and think about and amuse ourselves with in order to get distance from the pain, in order to not have to think about it and not have to think about the wrestling and the questions that this brings up in our faith and with God. The word amusement comes from the idea um, like muse, which means to think, and a, which means uh, without or not to think. Amusement means to not think. And so in a sense, much of our leisure, our streaming, our busyness, our whatever, is, so, is to keep us from having to think about the things that are difficult, the things that we don't have answers to, the wrestling that we're annoyed that we even have to engage in, the struggle, the tension, as we mentioned last week, that we feel inside of us even when it comes to dealing with pain and suffering and a God who we believe in is both good and powerful. And, and some of us are conscious. We actively choose to distract ourselves. Some of us don't realize we're so busy and part of the busyness in our lives is so that we don't have to think or perhaps we never think about or wrestle with this because we're too busy. And this kind of distraction, it can even have a cross around its neck, 
right? Like we can be uh, immersed in Bible studies and watching the YouTube rabbit hole about what revelation means and what the apocalypse is and who's the, who's the antichrist and what about this and that and all of that stuff. And I know so much more about the Bible and memory verses, but it can still even be a, a distraction from thinking about the stuff in the heart the real uh, relational issues we have with God and with others in the middle of pain and suffering. And so distraction can even have a cross around its neck. And that's one way to avoid the wrestling. Um, The other one is deflection. Deflection is about finding, not, not looking at something else, but blaming someone else or blaming something else. That may be God. It may be our parents. It may be our kids or that one kid. It may be um, the people who have directly caused harm in our lives. It may be systems. It may be institutions. It may be our employer. It may be the government. Uh, It it may be uh, some other way of saying, yeah, but this, or yeah, but that, or I wouldn't be here, or I wouldn't have to deal with this if it wasn't for that. That's deflection. And listen, I'm not saying that there aren't other people who might be the cause, who are to blame, who do need to own what they've done or what they've said. Um, I'm not saying that it's not real, that a broken world causes pain, but sometimes a deflection becomes a way of life where we only talk to or think about or align ourselves with people who have the same hurt, who have the same opinions of others, and we have a well-worn rut of rehearsed stories of what they did or what they didn't do or what they said or what they shouldn't have said uh, or what they needed to say or what's wrong with the world and wrong with the systems, wrong with the employers. We, we read books and we immerse ourselves in a pattern and a habit of deflection. Distraction and deflection can become a way of life. They're natural, but when they become our default, they're destructive, they're dangerous. Distraction is dangerous because it slowly over time begins to disconnect us from reality. That's the danger of distraction. Neil Postman in his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, um, he says, yeah, everybody builds castles in the air. The danger comes when we try to live in them. In other words, our minds begin to live in a reality that is not real, that is just uh, about what we stream or another meme or some funny show or some thing we're gushing about, the new greatest Netflix drama. It becomes the world we live in. And slowly what happens is we disconnect from ourselves from God, and even from others, we become even not only unable to be in touch with the pain in our own lives and the wrestling, we are unable to be in touch and close to the pain of others. And that's the danger of the habit of, dis, of, of, of distraction when it comes to dealing with pain and the wrestling with God that that um, entails. The danger of deflection, <laughs> um, I, I could think of no better uh, way to describe that than what Miroslav Volf, who's a uh, Croatian-born, um, grew, grew up um, in uh, like a part of the communist uh, government in um, Eastern Europe, and his family was a part of that. He's actually the professor of divinity at Yale, and he, he says this. He said, the principle cannot be denied. The fiercer the struggle against the injustice you suffer, the blinder you will be to, to the injustice you inflict. We tend to translate the presumed wrongness of our enemies into an unfaltering conviction of our own rightness. 
The fiercer the struggle against injustice, the blinder we are to the injustice we inflict. And this is the great danger when deflection becomes our way of dealing with pain and wrestling, whether we blame God or we blame other people or we blame systems or we blame the government or whatever it is, is that deflection can lead to a self-righteousness, that we are unable to see our own shortcomings. We're unable to see our own responses to it. Now, this is true for all of us, where whatever kind of pain we've had, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, or as it all fits together, and then the wrestling that that brings about in our relationship with God, whether this is something in your past or something in your present or something you're walking with with somebody else. And we're trying to do something every week, not just talk about these things, but actually pause to, um, to get in touch with reality, to not allow a disconnection or deflection to keep us from knowing and experiencing what's real. And so we're gonna take a few minutes, like we're trying to do every week, three minutes of silence. And there's gonna be questions for you on the screen to just reflect on wherever you happen to be in the journey, whether this is landing with you right now, or perhaps this is maybe something more in your past, or this people that you know you're, you're, who you're walking with, to just take a few, a few moments to reflect on perhaps how deflection or distraction have been parts of your coping mechanisms, because we all do it. We're all tempted by these things when we go through pain and suffering, and how ultimately that might actually create distance between us and God, because that is the ultimate sort of casualty in this when the habits and we begin to live in a way of distraction or deflection. And so we're going to take three minutes of uh, silence just to reflect on these questions and where this lands with you today.
None of us are immune from the experiences of pain and suffering, and therefore none of us are impervious to the temptations of distraction and deflection. What if there was another response? What if there was something else going on? Can I propose something to you? What if pain, the presence of pain and suffering in our lives, is an opportunity for God to get our attention? What if instead of distraction or deflection, pain is an opportunity for God to get our attention? I want you to listen to... um, in a few moments, uh, someone reading from one of the uh, prayers in the prayer book of the people of God. It's the book of Psalms. It's part of a collection of books in the scriptures called the Wisdom Literature, which if you're reading along in our daily reading plan, you, uh, you'll you be heading into uh, or maybe already in these books. This wisdom literature, not because it has simple answers for life, but actually it's wise enough to know there are no simple answers for life. And in many respects, the Psalms as the prayer book of the people of God. They give us a perspective of how do you wrestle with God? How do you talk to God as you're wrestling through pain and suffering? And I want you to listen to this Psalm as one person reflects on their own journey through a prayer of how, through pain, God invited them out of maybe maybe distraction, maybe deflection, but, it, but got their attention and invited them to wrestle with him. I want you to listen as we hear from Psalm 32. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Therefore, let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not drown in the floodwaters of judgment. For you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like senseless horse or a mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad, all you who obey him. Shout for joy and all whose hearts are pure. What's going on here in this person's life and in their prayer and their conversation with God? I mean, in one sense, we don't exactly know the details. It's a psalm of someone named David, King David, uh, Israel's first king, but we don't know exactly what the details were of this situation. 
But it clearly seems that he is reflecting on a season in his life when God had to get his attention, that he was going through some things, some pain that he had caused, and that he was feeling the pain himself, but possibly had caused other people pain. And because of that, and he kind of knew he was at fault <clears throat> in it, he was hiding. He, he was hiding from the pain and hiding from having to wrestle with God through it, right? Hiding from God, really. And in a sense, trying to protect himself by not owning up to it, not admitting it, not dealing with it, not talking to God about it. <clears throat> and so this is the situation he finds himself in. And I want you to stay with me, even if you say, oh, well, that's not the result. Like, I haven't done anything wrong. That's not the cause of my pain. And I think that's okay because that where he goes with this prayer is actually relevant to all of us, whether we have caused pain to others or perhaps we have reacted to what others have done to us and it has caused pain back, or perhaps we, we've tried to respond as well as we can and we're not at fault for any of this or just a broken world. But this Psalm actually gives us a way to wrestle with God in it. Because look at what God does, even though David is like hiding from God and not wanting to deal with what he's done, not wanting to admit, God does, it's so important what God does. He doesn't kind of punish him or heap shame on him. In fact, that's part of why, so why we hide at all, because we have this crisis with shame and insecurity in our lives. And God, unlike maybe other people or unlike religious figures in our lives or unlike parents or bosses or whatever, doesn't shame or punish him. But at the same time, he won't let him go either. God does not let the distance stay or grow. And David says in verses three and four, like when I tried to hide, it was killing me. He says, my body wasted away. Now, I don't know whether that means there was something physical going on with him, but certainly he's describing what was happening as he kept distance between him and God, as he kept hiding, as something that was affecting him psychologically and like on the inside of him emotionally, but also possibly even physically. He said, it was killing me. I, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. And he says, my, my strength was sapped. I had no strength in my body. Why? He says, because your hand was heavy on me. It's this picture of God saying, I'm not shaming you. I'm not punishing you, but I am not letting you go. I am not letting this thing go on any further. Now, what, what, what does that even mean? Well, I don't know, but it was some experience of David saying, I couldn't hide from you. I was trying to hide from you. I couldn't. I was trying to protect myself from you. I couldn't. You wouldn't let me go. I felt like your hand was on me, like bringing me to this point where like something's got to give. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Problem of Pain, says this, pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts to us in our pain. He goes on to say, pain is God's megaphone. It's just a way of saying, pain has a way of getting our attention like nothing else does. And the psalmist is saying, I'm in this place of trying to hide from you. I know there was stuff that I didn't want to admit, that I didn't want to own, that had made a mess in my life and other people's lives. And you didn't shame me, you didn't punish me, but you would not let me go. Your hand was heavy on me. Um, but look again, and, and I don't know whether, whether he was like opting for deflection or distraction or whatever it was. He wasn't owning it, and, Dave, and God wouldn't let him go. And, and then look at what God does. As he turns to him, Look at verse seven. He says, the psalmist says, when I turned to you, I realized again, or maybe for the first time, you 
are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me with songs of victory. You see this? He's like, this is the irony. I was trying to hide myself. I was living in shame or fearing shame. So I was hiding myself. I was protecting myself, maybe by deflection or distraction or just by like avoidance or whatever. But I was putting a wall between me and you. I was trying to protect myself. I was hiding from you. And when I turned to you, I realized, what am I doing? You are my hiding place. God, you hide me. You don't shame me. You don't expose me and make me feel terrible about myself. You protect me. You hide me. You sing songs, not of shame over me, but of victory. So what was I thinking? When I turned to you, when I closed the distance, this is what you did. And then God says to him, once he's turned to him and like gone back to actually wrestling with him and stopped hiding and stopped avoiding and stopped distracting and stopped deflecting. And he says, hey, I will guide you on the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you, God says to him. Don't be like the horse or the mule that need a bit and bridle. What, what does he mean by that? Verses eight and nine. He's like, animals need to be dragged around because they just refuse to listen. They don't want to go. They, they, like, and so you have to put a bit and like that's what in a horse's mouths to actually lead them to get them to, to go fast or to slow or to this way or that way. He says, I don't want to treat you like an You're not an animal. I want to guide you. I want to protect you. I want to watch over you. I want to hide you. Learn to listen to me. Stop fighting me. Stop hiding from me. Stop avoiding me. Stop deflecting. Stop distracting. I want to lead you. I want to give you counsel and wisdom and help you make good decisions, help you respond well. Friends, sometimes the pain in our life is perhaps like what David experiences. It's because of choices we have made. It's because of stuff we've done. Maybe it was just foolish. Maybe it was just hasty. Maybe it was premeditated. Maybe it was selfish. Maybe it was downright evil. Maybe it was vindictive, whatever it was. Sometimes the choices we make uh, cause pain for ourselves and other people. And we are to blame. And so we are the ones hiding because we don't want to own it. Other times, we respond to what others have done to us in their foolishness, in their hastiness, in their selfishness, in their evil. We have responded to them. We got sucked in by pain and by hurt. And Miroslav Volf goes on to say, like, fighting against our enemies is so dangerous because we end up fighting on their terms. And in a sense, in some shape or form, we become like them. And so sometimes that's what happens. Our pain is something we've inflicted on others because, because we've been hurt. <laughs> we hurt. Because we have been attacked, we go on the attack. Because we have been ignored or marginalized, we respond that way with others. Or we have pain that we've caused bitterness or whatever it is, distance in relationships. So sometimes it's not, we didn't initiate it, but we've responded that way. And then other times, through no fault of our own and just living in a broken world or trying to respond well, even to pain and suffering, we just have allowed distance to grow in our relationship with God because we just don't know how to deal with it. And so we allow the distance to grow. <clears throat> and here's the thing. While God is not the cause of evil and pain and suffering in your life, he can and will use it to get our attention to close the distance, to bring us back to him. And when we turn to him, God closes the distance. That's what David said. I turned to you and you came to me. 
I turned to you, you right there. You hid me, you protected me, you sang songs over me. You reminded me that you wanna lead me and help me and help me choose well and guide me in a right path. What was I thinking when I turned to you? God closed the distance. And see, in every experience of pain and suffering and loss and grief and tragedy and trauma, there are no quick answers, friends. There are no easy solutions. And the wrestling that that causes with God is real. And yet, even though there are no quick answers, God can use every one of those situations to get our attention, to bring us closer to him, to bring us back to him. <laughs> wrestling is one thing you cannot do at a distance. You can talk about God at a distance. You can read the Bible at a distance. You can come to church at a distance. You can talk about theological ideas at a distance, but you cannot wrestle at a distance. Wrestling is an intimate, day-in, day-out interaction with someone close to us. And so in the midst of our questions, we come to God and we wrestle. And when we turn to Him, whether we've allowed distance to grow or there's stuff we don't want to own or admit, when we turn to Him, God closes the distance. I want you to listen now to a story um, that one of the people in my alpha group in, in September 2022 told our table. Just a beautiful story of God not letting them go and closing the distance and the intimacy and closeness that that brought them to as God got their attention. And even as they told it, I thought, man, I'd love for them to share that with the church. And this is the perfect series it felt like. And I asked them and they were more than willing to share their story of God closing the gap, closing the distance with them. So I want you to listen. Growing up, I found early in my life to be quite challenging. I immigrated uh, from South Korea at the age of three. I came with my parents. My, my parents didn't speak any English, and uh, they were starting out a new life in Canada, and there was a lot of stress. And um, due to all this stress, my, my dad um, uh, obtained an illness. And um, through this illness, my family uh, at a very young age got, got broken, where uh, there was a lot of violence in the home. And at a very young age, I, I feared my dad and I didn't have uh, much of a relationship. So at a very early age, I, um, I sought after relationship through friends. I would do anything to get attention at school, and um, eventually I ended up uh, getting mixed up with um, uh, other uh, children that were uh, come from broken homes, uh, getting into drugs, which led to quitting school at a very young age, at around 14, 15 years of age. Uh, there was very little monitoring of what I'd be doing outside uh, due to my broken family. So I would uh, be on the streets, uh, I would be doing crime, and, and essentially, hanging out with friends and doing drugs. There was um, one evening, there was an instance where uh, a fight broke out and um, there was a lot of violence in that fight. And uh, due to that fight, um, I, I feared uh, going to jail. Um, so I kind of um, was able to miraculously find a job. We would stay in hotels, we'd stay in camps and things like that. And during that time, I would having those thoughts of wondering about why I existed. Uh, there was a Bible um, in, uh, in the hotels. So I just, um, I started to read the Bible. And um, there was a verse in Proverbs um, 
as Proverbs 28 verse 1 that said, uh, the wicked flee uh, when, when nobody's chasing them and, uh, and the righteous is bold as a lion. And uh, something about that verse really, because uh, at that time in my life, I was trying to like uh, flee. And so it really spoke to me at that time. And I do believe uh, God was trying to get my attention at that time. And at this workplace, um, there was some, some locations were very remote and they were dangerous, the job I was doing. And so there was an ambulance driver and that uh, ambulance driver was a, um, it was a Christian missionary doing, um, doing work. He, he prayed and prayed and said, if you want me to uh, somehow um, help someone here, uh, please bring them to me. And it was, it was quite miraculous because um, I decided to ride the ambulance. And um, when I, when I rode, rode out into the field, on his dashboard, I saw a Bible. And I was reading the Bible in, in, the, in the hotels prior to that. And so I said to him, um, is that a Bible on your dash? And he said, yes. And I said, oh, I read the Bible too. And, um, and he was really shocked. And um, uh, through him, he was able to uh, share um, uh, the message of the gospel to me. Um, that evening, he invited me to his, um, his cabin, and then I, um, I gave my life to Christ uh, that evening, and that, was, uh, that transformed my life. The moment I uh, sat in that room and I prayed, uh, I felt as though um, chains were lifted off my body. I felt like I was bound. The chains lifted off my body, and I felt uh, like there was, uh, I, I, I could almost say that there was singing. I heard some sort of singing. Um, and um, the, the addiction to drugs immediately uh, left, and I had a, a burden to, um, uh, to go to the authorities to tell them what I did and um, to turn myself in. So, uh, so God gave me the grace. I just uh, There was a lot of rough edges at that time, uh, but um, God gave me the grace to, uh, to do all the right steps that were necessary, uh, which one thing led to another, and um, I uh, ended up going back to, uh, back to school. And uh, he's, he's brought me to the point where now uh, I've uh, finished school. I've, uh, I've actually completed two degrees, and he's given me a wife, two, two kids, and, uh, and, and I'm doing a job where I'm um, working with kids and just he's, he's completely filled my life uh, with, with uh, amazing uh, joy. And my, my life, I just, uh, I'm so grateful to God that everything, uh, anything and everything I can do for God is really, uh, it's just a small, thing I can do. And God has shown me. And my, the purpose of my life is to be in relationship with Him. And everything else, uh, everything else uh, works itself out from that. And, uh, and that's, that's all I want to do the rest of my life is just to pursue a relationship with Him and to her. Uh, and just to, uh, to live for him. Man, what a beautiful picture. 
of God getting our attention. And I didn't know I was going to use that language. Chang and I talked a little bit about what he would share, but I didn't know he was going to actually use those words. And I didn't know, uh, I wouldn't know I was going to preach through Psalm 32 yet, but I don't know if you noticed what he said when he finally gave his life to Christ and knew God was bringing him close. He said how he heard singing. Isn't that so cool? I didn't even put that two and two together when I was um, looking at this Psalm. We chose this Psalm, but that's literally what he says. God, you surround me with singing. It's just this picture of like, not shame and not guilt and not, you know, God wagging his finger, but the songs of love and grace and acceptance that come around us. This is a beautiful picture of when we turn to God and he closes the gap, how he uses difficult things in our lives to get our attention in order to bring us close to him. And so friends, if this is who our God is, right? Not a God who wants to heap punishment and shame on us, but one who wants to bring us close, to hide us, to protect us, to sing songs over us, to lead us and instruct us and give us good counsel in the decisions and the responses of our lives, especially in the middle of pain and suffering. If this is who God is, then instead of distraction or deflection, as God gets our attention, can I suggest to you our final shun for the day? It is confession. Confession becomes the most beautiful, appropriate response. And I hope you realize this when you read this psalm. Confession is not um, this like shame, beating ourselves up. I'm a terrible person. I hate me. God, you must hate me. It's just an, an, like a turning back to him and admitting reality. God, this is the way things are. I'm not going to hide from it. I'm not going to disconnect from reality. I'm not going to deflect so we don't talk about me and you. This is reality. And, and there just may be a couple of simple things or one, one of these that are words of confession for you. It just may be to admit to God, I've caused hurt. I have caused hurt and pain by what I've said or didn't say, what I've done or didn't do to myself and to others. Or perhaps I have reacted to hurt with hurt. In reaction, I have justified things that I shouldn't have done or shouldn't have said because of what was done and said or not done and not said to me. That may be something we need to confess. Just say, that's true. That's real. Or, God, I have let distance grow between us. Because I can't figure this out, because I don't have answers, I have distanced myself from you. And that's real. And I need to admit that. God, can you close the distance between us? This is the beautiful prayer of confession. God, can you, this is what I've done. This is where I'm at. Can you close the distance between us? What happens when we do this? It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to stop, to get out of the habit of just distraction, of just streaming ourselves to death, of being so busy or caught up with all kinds of theological ideas that we're not dealing with what's really going on. It's not easy to get out of habits of distraction or deflection or gossip and accusation and frustration and rehearsing the things that others have done and said. Why would you do this? What's the gain? <laughs> Not just closeness with God, but a word that you could probably see and hear and feel from Chang's story, and a word that is mentioned so many times in Psalm 32. It's the word joy. Joy the thing that is deeper and richer and stronger than happiness. Happiness rides the waves of circumstances. Happiness cannot survive in long seasons of pain and suffering, but joy can grow even out of the darkest and coldest places that when 
blank happen, when pain, suffering, loss, grief, trauma, tragedy happen. As we allow it to get our attention and we ask God to close the distance between us and him, the result in your life and mine is joy.